0: Do you believe the words of that song? That thou canst use us, that God can use us to update it. <laughs> God can use us every day and every hour. Do you believe it? Interestingly enough, that, that is a large part of what I want to show you today. Is that, that this passage in Romans chapter 12 verses 14 through 21 is going to show us that, that pretty much each and every day, if you're around other people, other sinners, you will have the opportunity to be used by God for the master's mission. This is what we are desiring to do, right? Jesus has said, go therefore and make disciples, and then teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And what I wanna show you is that God in his infinite wisdom, grace and kindness has woven into our everyday experience opportunities to, to work toward this master's mission, to advance the master's mission. You say, well, what are these, these opportunities, these unexpected opportunities for mission? Well, what we're going to see today is that anytime someone sins against you, it is an opportunity to advance the master's mission. And anytime, uh, you know, someone mistreats you, it's an opportunity. Anytime you're spoken down to or made fun of, it's an opportunity. Anytime you're lied about, stolen from, or physically harmed by someone else, in any way they might sin against you or even their sins affect you adversely, It is an opportunity for the master's mission. You say, well, how is someone else sinning against me an opportunity for the master's mission? Well, what we're going to see today is that the way you respond has the power by God's grace to make disciples and to train disciples to show the infinite surpassing worth of God in Christ Jesus can happen through the way we respond when others sin against us. And so that is what we're going to see. And I'll tell you, again, this is really good news because uh, we're going to start with bless those who persecute you. But that's not all. It's not just that we're like being beaten for our faith. This happens in our everyday relationships. Again, if you are around other humans at all, you are most likely sinned, sinned against from one degree to another each day. They rolled their eyes at you. They said a snide remark. They were selfish against you. I mean, you just, you, you name it. People people. And by the way, I sin against people every day too. And there is a way, there is a way to handle uh, when you sin against others. But that's not what we're focused on today. We're focused on when someone sins against us, injures us with their sin in some way, how can we respond in a way that by God's grace and by God's power advances the master's mission? So let's look at it together in Romans chapter 12. This is verses 14 through 21. And we've already seen that all of Romans 12 is in the context of if we want to be useful for the master's mission, this is the type of people we need to be based on the mercies of God. So Romans 12, uh, beginning in verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, to the contrary, instead of vengeance, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, Feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Father God, we have just read some astonishing words, some startling words. We're startled by what it is we're called to do the ways we are called to respond to the sins of others and the way they affect us, Lord. We are startled by these things, but we are also startled by the result that we see that you can accomplish through these responses, that we might not be overcome by evil, but that we could overcome evil with good, that we could shine your glory into this dark world, and that others may see, may repent, and believe in Christ Jesus, and so be saved, and so become worshipers of you. What an amazing opportunity every day. Lord, we pray that you would help us not only to hear these words, but to believe them and to love them, and not only to love them, but to do them to apply them in our lives each and every day, Lord, for your glory. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So just to set a little foundation, again, this is just the reason for the master's mission. The reason for what we're called to do is this. God is real, but people need to realize it. God is infinitely glorious and holy, but people need to grasp That reality. Jesus truly is God the Son who came into this world, took upon flesh, lived a perfect life, then died a substitutionary death in our place. That is all true, but people need to feel that and embrace it. And one of the ways that God helps people understand these realities is by how we his redeemed, his transformed respond to the sins of others in our lives. This these are these unexpected opportunities in our lives, both to make disciples and to help disciples mature. Because ultimately that's that's the master's mission, and that's what we have the opportunity to do is, is through our lives, through our responses to either make disciples or, or uh, mature disciples. So let's, let's look at this first. Paul's going to show us what hangs in the balance because th- it kind of goes both ways here. According to verse 21, this is the, the last verse in, in uh, Romans 12, Paul gives kind of a concluding statement of these two opposite realities. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So if you want to write that in your notes, you're welcome to do not be overcome, but overcome. These are two opposite realities, two opposite opportunities that arise each and every time someone sins against us. We can either be overcome by evil or we can overcome evil with good. And so again, this, this is kind of the setting. Someone sins against us and, and there, there's kind of a fork in the road. Which way am I going to allow this to go? And, and by the way, this, this being overcome by evil, it, the, kind of the idea there is someone sinned against you, right? And that's wrong. It was sinful. It was evil of them to sin against you but it really can stop there. It, it, is, it is not as though we have an excuse when someone sins against us to then sin against them. I just want you to think about how often this happens. You may not even say these words with your mouth, but you think them in your head and I do too. We say things like, well, I, I shouldn't have acted that way, but I wouldn't have if they hadn't done that. Hmm. So now you're exempt for the way you've acted because of what they did. Yeah, I may have been a little mean, but I only did that because they were mean to me first. Or we may even have this weak, so called apology. I'm sorry I did that, but I only did it because you did this. That's a so called apology, (laughs) it is not a true apology to say, I'm sorry, but I only did it because of you doing this. Is that, uh, we, we need to understand that we have responsibility for our actions independent of the actions of another person. If they sin, yes, it's sin. But we still have an independent decision to make that is independent of their sin, of their actions, their uh, e- evil, you could even say to uh, here in this text. And so, we, we need to be very careful about excusing our sin because of the sin of others. And to use the terminology of Paul, to, to use another person's sin as an excuse for our sin is being overcome by evil. Evil won the day. I kind of want to just give you four ways that, that evil wins the day, that it overcomes uh, you rather than you overcoming it when we respond sinfully to someone else's sin. First, you add sin. Again, that's what we just talked about. They sinned, that's one sin, and now you have sin. You've added sin. That's two sins, okay? But you notice up there, secondly, you multiply sin. Husbands and wives, you're gonna be amen in just a second. Husbands and wives, when when your spouse you know, says something mean to you and you respond in meanness, how is your spouse likely to then respond to you? Most likely they will respond mean in return and then you'll respond mean again. And so not only have you added sin, you have almost guaranteed that you will multiply sin because you'll be tempting then to sin and then you'll be tempted. And this is how, Arguments escalate. This is how it hits the fan, as as they say. This is how things get so out of control. As it is a cycle that we are continuing. It is multiplying. It is escalating. This is how uh, we are overcome by evil. We've just given Satan a foothold, if you will, to just now make the bantering go back and forth. Now I say that with husbands and wives, but I mean it happens in any relationships. It can happen at work. It can happen with the other moms at the playdate. I don't know. It happens at church. We multiply a sin, not only add to it, because we've most likely tempted them to sin back in return, and it just goes back and forth. Thirdly, we miss an opportunity. We miss an opportunity when we respond sinfully. God has woven into this universe the way things work that others will sin against you. And that it will be an opportunity to show his glory, his mercy, his grace. And what we do when we respond in sin is we say, "Mm, I don't want that. What I want is to find my satisfaction in venting my anger. I want to find my satisfaction in getting even. I want to find my satisfaction in having the last word rather than in bringing glory to God. It is a missed opportunity, and that is a big deal. We may not recognize this so much as if, you know, there's that unsaved person. You're like, I know I need to talk to them. I know I need to talk to them. And we walk away saying, ah, I didn't talk to him. We should walk away from our responding sin with sin the same way, saying, I missed an opportunity to show the glory of God right there. And I could have. But not only do we miss an opportunity, fourthly, you make God look foolish. I make God look foolish when I respond evil for evil, sin for sin. Because we are the ones who have been forgiven. We have been transformed. We have new life. We have been saved out of this world, even though we still live in this world. And it makes God look foolish when we live exactly like the world. It's fully expected that when someone sins against a person, they respond in sin. That's how the world acts. And so when we respond in our sin, we look exactly like the world, and it makes it appear as though God and his commands aren't worth worshiping and obeying. It makes it appear as though God is not powerful enough to change us and make us a forgiving and loving sort of people. It makes it appear as though vengeance is more satisfying than God. We make God look foolish. We malign the name of Christ. It's not only a missed opportunity, it is actually a, a, a making God look foolish. It's not a zero-sum game. There, there either is a positive or a negative outcome. You are either overcome by evil or you overcome evil with good. And so this is, this is what we see here, Romans 12 and 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And say, okay, I'm, I, I'm not supposed to sin in response to other sin. I am fully, fully responsible for my actions, even when others sin against me. I just want to get that very clear. We are fully responsible for our actions when others sin against us. And there's those four very good reasons not to be overcome by evil. But but what does it look like to respond in a way that would glorify God? What what?" What would it look like to respond in a way that makes people say, there's something different about them. They are not like the world. This is number two, if you want to do that in your notes. Respond in unexpected ways. And this, by the way, is why it's unexpected opportunities. Not only are we not planning for this opportunity to come to us, that others will sin against us and it will be an opportunity. We are now responding in an unexpected way. And that's how we make the most of the opportunities. Again, the world says, okay, when someone persecutes you, you fight back. When an enemy harms you, you you get back at them. You you fire back. This is this is how things work. When someone lies about you, when someone slanders you, when someone makes fun of you, you do it back. That's how, how we do it. And by the way, um, <laughs> I, I generally went by the rule of, I'm not only going to do it back, I'm going to do it harder. Like that was my kind of rule growing, growing up of like, you mess with me, you will regret it. Like it will not be an eye for an eye. Uh, again, just shows how sinfully, uh, sinful I am and how much I needed God's grace. But none of those things are surprising to the world. What is surprising is what we're going to see again as we read verses 14 to 20. What I want you to notice is it's not only abstaining, from something, it's also actively doing something. And this is what makes it so surprising. Notice that it's not only what we don't do, but what we do that makes the difference. All right, Romans 12, uh, 14 to 20, it says there, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. I'm gonna just pause there to make sure we get what's going on. Someone is persecuting you. They they are, as it were, cursing you. They are seeking the worst for you. And not only do you not fire back with with persecution, you bless them. Not only do you not curse them and wish the worst on them, you seek the best for them. This, This is an opposite. This is an unexpected response to the way the world would respond. It's not only that we keep from doing it. By the way, I was thinking about this. What does it show if we merely don't, you know, persecute them back? We don't bother blessing them, but we don't persecute them back. What does that show? In my experience, it shows you're afraid. (laughs) Like, they're persecuting you, but I'm I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. Yeah, you're scared. That's why you're keeping your mouth shut. You don't want them to, to come even harder on you. But when someone blesses, that shows something different than fear. It shows love. It shows care for the person who is persecuting, who, who is cursing you. You bless those who persecute you. It is an active thing here. And I mean, it, it, I, thinking about these things philosophically, it sounds so nice, so romantic. Yeah, when someone persecutes me, I'm going to bless them. Yeah, you just wait till it happens. You, you wait till your wife feels like your enemy, or your kids feel like your enemy, or your churchmate feels like your enemy, and we'll see how you're blessing. I mean, I, just, I look at my own life and say, when it actually comes down to it, when the rubber hits the road, these are very difficult commands. All right, I'm going to keep going here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Then verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Kind of the, 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 Idea of that part is there's this sympathy even with those who are against you. You, you rejoice when good things happen, even to your persecutor. You say, I, I'm glad things are going well for them. Or you even weep when bad things happen to them. <laughs> I mean, have you ever found yourself rejoicing when someone else weeps? I mean, th- there is a good kind of weeping, by the way, when we are, anyways. But when someone has a terrible tragedy come in your life, that that should not be a time for us to rejoice. We say, "Ha, they got what was coming to them." That is wicked, and that's what Paul's telling us. And then he says, "There, uh, you know, associate with the lowly, never be wise in your own sight, live in harmony." This is this humility that we have. That says, "I, I think about the lowly in this case uh, again in context, possibly as meaning those who are in that lowly estate, and it's kind of their own fault." And, and, but we're not saying, huh, you, you deserve to be living on the streets. You deserve what you've gotten. We, we actually humble ourselves. We live in harmony with them. We associate with the lowly. We don't consider ourselves wise in our own sight. Okay, verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. <laughs> I mean, that's so huge. Again, you just think about it, you and your wife are in your kitchen, or you, you're, you and another kid at school, and, and they say something mean. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And that, by the way, just shows again, we are responsible for our actions. There may not be peace in the relationship, but let it be a one-sided war. If that person is going to be throwing stones at you, you're not throwing back so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Verse 19, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we're not repaying, but verse 20, to the contrary. That means instead of repaying your enemy, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head we'll talk about both those things but this is again looking for taking care of the practical needs of your enemy rather than taking vengeance i mean it's it's opposite that's why it's so unexpected We don't just not punch them back. We bless them. We pray for them. You know, Jesus, by the way, talked about all this in the Sermon on the Mount as well. And so you can look at more of it there. Um, But we we do the unexpected response. Why? Because we are a supernaturally changed people with an amazing God. We don't worship what the world worships. We we love God. We are changed by him. And that helps us to love God one another again these are massive commands that should be a part of our everyday lives because we're concerned yes with making disciples so this could happen out 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 when you're out at the grocery or or wherever around unsaved people the way you respond will make a difference and i should talk about that I'll, i'll talk about that right there um I'm not, oh, there you go. See that at the end, here's what Paul says will happen when we treat our enemy in this way, when we bless instead of curse, when we feed them instead of uh, fight them. He says, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, at first that may sound (laughs) cruel. It's like, I thought we weren't supposed to hurt our enemies and now we're supposed to put burning coals on their head. Okay, this is a, a metaphor pointing back to an old practice. So this was, for them, a well-known ancient Egyptian practice that, that the, the Egyptian people, when they wanted to publicly show their remorse, their contrition, their repentance, they would take a, a tray of coals or a pot of coals, you could say, and they would place it on their head and they, they would go out into public. I mean, I don't know, like, we don't really have a common parallel to this in, in today's uh, life, I would say. Like, I mean, it would kind of be like, you know, wearing a, a sign on front and back that says, I'm an idiot and I need to change. Like, that, that would be like the only parallel. You're going out there and you're, there and you're saying, I have come to realize the grievousness of my sin I have come to realize how my sin has affected these other people. And I want to show you, I want to show that person I've sinned against that I uh, am repentant and I want to change. That's what it meant to have these burning coals on their head. So no, this was not a fight tactic to throw burning coals on their head. This was a sign of repentance, contrition, and desire to change. Beautiful. That is what Paul says can be the final result of responding in these unexpected ways. They respond in evil. They have malicious intent against you. And then you respond with good and with love and with kindness and blessing, desiring the best for them. And it it hits them like a ton of bricks or like a sack of coals. I don't know. Like, I mean, it just all of a sudden they realize what I'm doing is wrong. Why would I do that? And they come to realize, it's not only what I did that was wrong and evil, I I am evil. And it just, it leads them to a place of repentance and, and clinging to the only one who can cleanse them of that sin and save them from that sin and change them for the future. This is the goal. This is the desire that, not only that we respond different, so people say, wow, look at him. He responded so well when someone was a jerk to him. No, it is to say, Wow, God has changed that person and this, this sin was so bad and, and I want what they have. I want to be changed like them to have the Savior they have. This is what we desire. But it only happens when we respond in these unexpected ways. Remember, responding in sinful ways is an opportunity for evil. To, for evil to overcome us, to overcome that whole situation, to influence and add to and multiply sin. That's what happens when we respond in sin. But when we respond in these unexpectedly loving, kind, and generous ways, God does amazing things by his power. He uses it as an opportunity to display his glory. And so, oh, by the, by the way, um, I was thinking about this. We say, yeah, but does it really work? Like that kind of seems like a, a long range plan. Like, okay, I'll, I'll respond nice. And that's how God will save them, like overcoming uh, evil with good. Does that really work? Well, I will just tell you this. It worked for Jesus. Jesus is the one who was sinned against the most grossly, the the, the most, uh, it, it, it is the highest, trespass that has ever occurred is what happened to Jesus, that God the Son is spit on, beaten, maligned, and nailed to a cross. It is the worst sin that that could possibly occur in rejection of God. And, and look at how uh, First Peter puts this. Mm, no, there we go. He says uh, in 1 Peter two twelve and then 21 to 23. So in the same chapter, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. That's talking about the unsaved. Keep your conduct among the unsaved honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, that's they sin against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So this is the same principle we've been talking about. But look at, look at what he anchors this principle in. Verse 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. So he he didn't respond with sin. He, He took responsibility for his own life. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, namely God the Father. Then it says, verse 24, what he did on the contrary. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So Jesus committed no sin. He didn't add to sin. He didn't multiply sin because he didn't revile in return. He didn't respond with these threats. So he wasn't multiplying the sin in that way. He took the opportunity to glorify God rather than to take vengeance in that moment. I mean, the end of the Bible, by the way, Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth. I think he could handle these Roman people if he wanted to right there, right then. But he takes it rather than Uh, he, He takes the opportunity rather than taking vengeance. He entrusts himself to God and makes the most of this opportunity. And instead of making God look foolish by an immature reaction, Jesus makes God look supremely glorious by responding in these unexpected ways. He blesses his persecutors. He takes care of the greatest needs. He takes their sin upon himself. And he does this to bring about the highest possible good, namely the salvation of the souls of sinners, but also the transformation of sinners that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That is what I call overcoming evil with good. (laughs) Rather than reviling return, he overcomes evil with good. This is what Jesus did. And this is the example that we have been given so that you might follow in His steps. Does it work? Yes. It is God's plan A. It is the way that He is transforming this world. He did it through Christ and He is doing it through us. But I want to tell you, and this will just lead us into our final point, because we need to realize this. It sounds very romantic. All I've got to do is respond well when people are mean to me and are, are sinning against me. and it's not going to be that easy. I mean, if you can go through the rest of today not responding to someone else's sin with sin, I will be very impressed. It is very difficult to do this. Not only is it difficult to do the actions that Jesus or uh, Paul is prescribing here, and Jesus did also in the Sermon on the Mount. Not only is it hard to put on the actions, it is infinitely harder to have the attitude in our heart. Because this doesn't just say, bless them with your lips. It says, bless your persecutor. You have to actually have a heart that desires the best for that other person. I mean, this is a lot. These are heart issues. This has to come from the overflow. We can't stick these good works on; they will fall off very quickly. They're like sticky notes that have been put off and on too many times. We try to, you know, respond well. We do it a couple times. We start to feel good about ourselves, which is a sin. And then, then we, you know, over time, we just can't handle it anymore. We say, "I can't keep responding well," and it, and we, we can't even do it. And ultimately, we're, we're doing it like Pharisees anyway, because we're just putting on good works. It has to come from the heart. And this is what I want to show you uh, for our final point. The power comes from deep satisfaction in Christ. This is the only way you can do it. This is the only way you can truly please God in the way that you respond to others. This is the only way that evil can truly be overcome by good is if you are finding your deep satisfaction in Christ rather than in your sinful response. Again, otherwise you will look for your satisfaction, inventing anger, getting even, having the last word, making sure everyone knows, hey, you don't push that guy around. Look at how he responded. That's wicked satisfaction. But we all, to some degree, we pursue these things. But if we can replace that type of sinful, momentary, silly, backfiring satisfaction with satisfaction in Christ, it will be a beautiful thing. And every single day you will have opportunities to advance the master's mission. Look at uh, Romans 12.1. I put it up there. This is what it's all based off of. All these commands that we've been studying uh, for the past uh, four weeks or so in Romans 12, it's all based off of this. Romans 12, one, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, so I'm about to give you a command. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And so the rest of chapter 12 is showing what a living sacrifice looks like. But right there, <clears throat> we see where that power comes from. By the mercies of God. You say, what mercies of God? Well, the last 11 chapters, excuse me, have been the mercies of God. That we have sinned against God. We've rejected God. We've rebelled against God. Yet, He loves us and saves us, not a salvation that we earn, that we buy, that we merit, a salvation that is freely given, but that was purchased at the price of Jesus' son. We receive that by faith and we receive this gracious transformation. We receive eternal life, inheritance. We receive all these things. These are the mercies of God by which we can now love our enemies. If we don't have these things on our hearts, on our minds, we will respond just like the world. I, I, again, I, I don't like to be vague, but this is why we got to be in God's Word. This is why we got to be not just opening our Bible, but just asking God to pour it into our hearts and into our minds because we got to love our salvation. We got to love. The forgiveness we've been given. We gotta love the eternal life, the reward, the 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 heavenly experience that we have awaiting us, because then we are filled, we are satisfied, and from that overflow of satisfaction, we can love our enemies. We can we can speak kindness to someone who's just made fun of us we, we can do all these things because we don't need it we don't need their affirmation I'm not saying their sin isn't bad I'm not saying it doesn't hurt but I'm saying satisfaction in God is greater satisfaction in Christ is greater and so again I, I want to make this as practical as possible this could happen to you at work okay you you could like get fired or not get the promotion because they know you're a Christian and you won't go against your Christian values. And and so you could get persecuted. In that moment, don't go like erasing everyone's computer. <laughs> that, that would be to repay evil with evil. You know, um, in that moment, you, you respond in unexpected ways. Like You bless when you're being fired. That's what it means. I mean, persecution, by the way, uh, generally in the Bible is, is far worse than that. Um But it could be that big of a deal. And the unsaved could see that and want Christ Jesus because of it. They could be convicted of their sin and see that Christ can cover their sin. But this also happens, again, in our families. Even around saved people, we want these responses because people are matured through this. Legitimately, I I can think of some of the most character-forming moments of my life was watching the way other people respond to the, the immaturity and the sins of others and seeing them love them in uh, that, that way. I mean, it affected me. And that, by the way, sometimes that sinner was me. <laughs> the way I was sinning, the way they responded to me has been some of the most character-forming moments of my life. To say, wow, that was not how I was expecting them to respond. They clearly have found a greater satisfaction than responding evil for evil, getting me back, being mean when I was, like, they clearly have. And in that moment, even as a Christian, it has made some of the biggest differences in who God has made me to be today. And so I, I want to say this is, this is true with your spouse. This is true with your children. This is true with your small group. This is true at your church. Around other Christians, it still has this sanctifying effect and so we want God to be glorified in, in everything that we do. And every single day, God gives us opportunities. Others sin against us. And, and the question is, what are we going to do? you Are going to respond according to your flesh? Or are you going to respond according to faith and deep satisfaction in Christ? And so we must cultivate this sort of satisfaction. We must let God pour this satisfaction into our hearts. Because from that, we will be able to glorify him. We will be able to respond in these amazing ways. I invite you, I'm about to pray right now, but I I invite you to truly confess with me the fact that you have gone against these commands so many times. So many times you have responded snide remark for snide remark, unkindness for unkindness. I mean, just... It's it's time to confess, it's time to ask for change, it's time to truly come to God and say, God, I need this, because this is an everyday opportunity, and I want to glorify you. So let's pray together. Father God, it is, again, astounding wisdom that you have built into this world that sin is such an opportunity for good and for your glory. And so, God, we do confess that we have failed at this so many times. We've failed again in our relationships uh, with our family, with our friends, with our church, with coworkers, with classmates. Lord, we have too often responded in ways that please Satan rather than you. But, God, we are thankful that our salvation, that our acceptance... That, that, that the affection you have for us is not based on us being perfect. It is not based on our performance, but on Christ Jesus, his perfection, his perfect performing of all the law. God, we are so thankful for that, that you love us fully, even though we have failed you many times and even made you look foolish many times. But God, we want to do better. God, we want to make the most of these opportunities. How how many more people could be saved if we were to respond in these unexpected ways? How much more could the Christians around us be matured if we were to respond in these unexpected ways? So God, please help us to find our satisfaction in you. Help our hearts to be overflowing with hope and peace and joy so that when others sin against us, we can respond with love and kindness and gentleness. God, we are asking for miraculous work. Work that only you can do, but work that you have promised you can do. And so we ask for it. And We give ourselves as well to to working this out in our lives, Lord. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.